Hey everybody, we are talking about the important financial topic of estate planning today with attorney Carrie Smalley. Hope that you enjoy this episode. It's going to be really, really interesting. And just remember that this is not legal advice. This is general information. So if you have any specific questions about your specific situation, make sure that you're contacting a licensed attorney in your state. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. Uh, my name is David Chudik, and um, I talk a lot about how we are a financial planning podcast, but we don't always talk about what people think are typical financial planning topics, like let's say investment planning. Uh, there are so many parts of the financial planning process, and estate planning certainly is one of them. So um, I actually asked <clears throat> the attorney of, of one of my clients to come on the podcast today, and I'm really excited that uh, Carrie Smalley has joined us. We're going to talk about estate planning today. Carrie's been uh, a lifelong Kansas Cityan. He's been practicing law for 17 years, and he's owned the Smalley Law Firm for the last 11 years. He focuses on estate planning, probate, and business law, um, and he has his wife and his two boys. So, hey, Carrie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today. I'm um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, yeah, so I work with a lot of clients, and a lot of them, they just don't have their legal matters in order. Um, do you find that you know, estate planning is just something that it's just kind of hard to deal with or just hard to sit down and think about what happens when I die. And and a lot of people, whether they're financially successful and wealthy all, all the way on down to lower levels, they just don't like want to deal with estate planning. Yeah. I mean, it's not the most fun thing to talk about. And I find that a lot of people of all different ages, backgrounds, financial pictures, uh, you know, it tends to be something that you just don't want to sit down and do and think about, well, what happens if you know, I'm incapacitated or I have Alzheimer's or I'm in a wheelchair or uh, I a sudden age and I leave young children home. It's things people don't want to talk about, but, you know, it's a it's a simple process and it's something everybody needs to have in place. Well, and that kind of brings me to, you know, my, my first question. Like, I think I think a lot of just regular people think estate planning is like for super rich people that um, have millions and millions of dollars. So let me ask kind of two first questions, like what is an estate plan and who needs an estate plan? And is it just for rich people? You know, an estate plan, everybody needs an estate plan if you're an adult of some sort. An estate plan is, is a, you know, documents put in place that provide for what happens to your assets, what happens to your children, what happens to all your possessions if something were to happen to you? And that can encompass whether uh, you're given someone else power to make decisions for you if you're incapacitated or if you've passed away. And it's it's something that uh, everybody needs to consider, even for, you know, an 18 year old. You know, once you turn 18, you may be a senior in high school or a freshman in college and your parents no longer have the authority to to make decisions for you. So let's say you're in a car accident and you're unconscious. Well, yeah, the doctor's probably going to ask them, but it's really not their legal decision. So I, I always suggest to people that have kids going off to college, get a, a financial power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney in place for them. Uh, so everybody needs some component of an estate plan. Yeah, that makes total sense. But there's part of that, just the the, the mentality of you don't want to think about your 18-year-old maybe incapacitated or, or worse, right? So like, what do you tell someone who is just 
I just don't want to think about this. I don't, I don't want to, you know, my kid's going to be fine. He's going to live a long time. I'm young. What, 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 how do you get past that mental block? Well, two things. One, I tell people, and I find that people tend to agree with this, and they'll come back to me after I've helped Matt, and they'll say, you know, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And you made things really simple, and I feel really good now. I want to think about, but do you also want to think about what happens to you or your kids if something does happen and you don't have this in place? It's the alternative. And a lot of times I'll have people come into me, and it's something's happened to their parents. And maybe their parents have, have been deceased and, and didn't leave any sort of estate plan. And then, you know, the, the son or the daughter is in the position of having to clean that all up and are dealing with the courts for, for maybe a year or two and, and spending thousands of dollars saying, gosh, I wish, you know, my parents had this in place. And oftentimes that gives them a push to come in and get their own estate plan. No, I can I can see that. Um, anybody who knows me, and, and this is just a horrible, horrible story. Last year on April 3rd, my sister, who was 50, she had a um, she had a stroke, and it turns out that um, it was brain cancer that had metastasized from her lungs, and she passed away in in December. So she literally a half of a year later, and without those legal documents, they don't bring her back. Um, you know, we would certainly trade everything to have her back and have her healthy. But with that not being an option, somebody had to make decisions on her behalf when she was mentally incompetent. And without those powers of attorneys and the proper legal documents, it just becomes very, very difficult. So thankfully, she thought about a lot of these things. And it made <clears throat> what was an absolutely horrible situation, it made it just a little bit easier and more bearable for everybody involved. So it's very, very important. And again, she was on only 50. Are there general documents that every adult should have? And 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 do they vary by state? And let's just talk about some of the, the very general documents that most people should have prepared, or at least speak with a, 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 a local licensed attorney to see if they are appropriate for them. Yeah, there are. I mean, the first thing I tell people to think about is I kind of run through them in order to think about, first of all, you probably want to have a living will or an advanced directive in place. And what that's called and what it contains varies state to state. Uh, generally, what a living will is, is in certain circumstances, you don't want to receive life-sustaining measures except for comfort care. Um, similarly, an advanced directive is, is more of a, a check-the-box type of thing that uh, states you know, whether or not you want to receive you know, this, this piece of uh, medical treatment or that piece of medical treatment, depending on your situation. And usually, those are something that says, you know, if two doctors determine one of being my treating physician, that my death is imminent regardless of the care provided. Uh, you can enumerate what, 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 what you want taken and steps for you and what you don't. Uh, similar components, I think everybody that's an adult should have a health care power of attorney and a durable financial power of attorney, which we kind of touched on earlier. Uh, the health care power of attorney states if you're incapacitated or unable to make your own decisions, you're appointing someone to make health care decisions for you whether that be a spouse, a sibling, a child, whoever that may be, a trusted friend. So if I can interrupt there, so let's say I don't have a healthcare power of attorney and let's say I'm now I'm 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 very ill um and 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 mentally incapacitated, can my wife not make those decisions for me or or what would happen in that case? Generally she can. The, the biggest thing I find is I always like to make sure that you put people's address and phone numbers in those things cuz one thing in particular is you may come in as a car accident victim and people may not know how to get a hold of anybody. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I usually tell people when they, when they execute these documents, get a copy on file with your primary care physician, or if there's a local hospital that you prefer for treatment or one that's closest to your home, 
get a copy on file with them too. So that way, at least there's a possibility those documents can be located and accessed and they've got someone to call. Doctors are pretty flexible. And generally, if they know there's a spouse around, they'll go to that person first. If there's not, they'll usually try and find out if there's a parent or a child and go to that person. They generally just, unless they have to in an emergency situation, make decisions on their own. They usually want to consult with families, but it just gives you some more peace of mind and, 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 and gives a real power, especially if there's you're coming across situations where there are people with different opinions in the family, then at least you've got somebody designated, this is the person I trust, and they've got the utmost authority. I would guess, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it probably becomes a little bit more important if you're not married, because you may have two siblings, and, and there may be, everybody has the crazy the crazy sibling, right? And you might want that one to not be the one making decisions, but if it's not on paper at all, maybe you may have two other siblings arguing about about which which health decision to make right absolutely that comes up all the time likewise for unmarried uh uh people with adult children they may have three or four children one may be estranged who knows what the situation is but they may not always agree on the best course of treatment for their parents as well Uh so those those always come into factor so it's always nice to have something in writing that you could point to and know who the decision maker decision makers are and it could be that you say we've got three siblings and you know, two out of the three need to agree, and we'll go with with that vote. And I like that that's being purposeful. I think all of our financial decisions, and I can definitely classify this as a financial decision, they need to be made with purpose and, and be well thought out, as opposed to just, you know, I'm in a car accident, I'm incapacitated, I never thought about what would happen, and now now we're kind of picking up the pieces. Yeah, and, and to go along with that, I always recommend everyone have the durable financial power of attorney. So in the event... Uh, you know, God forbid somebody's got Alzheimer's, dementia, they're unconscious. Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to have access to the bank account? Who's going to be able to talk to you, David, if you're their financial planner uh, to change investment strategies or whatever that may need to be? Uh, so that's something important, too. And that can be drafted up one of two ways. It can be an immediate power or it can be a power that's only granted upon a determination of disability by two physicians and, and doctor's notes, one of them being your treating physician. Uh, and the, the the former may be a case of where you're going out of the country and you need somebody to sign a document for you. Maybe you're closing on a home to give someone power of attorney to, to execute the deed and all those mortgage documents. But the most common situation would, would be one that goes into effect if you're incapacitated uh, to cover situations where somebody may be in a nursing home or whatever that may be. And is it, good, is it a good idea maybe for spouses just to have kind of a general power of attorney on each other? Um, or is that not a good idea? Or what would it the pros and cons of that be? Yeah, I do that for a lot of people, as long as you trust your spouse, especially if it's one that is effective immediately. Uh, you know, you need to have conversations about that and make sure it's a situation you're both comfortable with. But a lot of people do do that in the event that one can sign in the event, the other is not available. Um, and, and certainly in the event you're incapacitated. Are there any other documents that typically would be uh, something that, that your average person should 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 consider? Yeah, I mean, there's two more standard documents that I... I suggest everybody have in place. One being only if you own a home would be a, a transfer on death deed. Uh, a lot of times, at least I can speak to the states I'm licensed in, when when you sign your mortgage and you go to the closing and they execute the deed, you know, it's going to transfer the title of the house to you or you and your spouse or whoever that may be. But in the event that one of those people, the title holder or title holders pass away, uh, that generally becomes, you know, a, a probate asset if you don't have a transfer on death deed. And what the transfer on death deed does is it it's recorded with the, the county recorder of deeds, at least in, in the states that I practice in. And it's on file. So in the event the owner or owners pass away, 
the house automatically transfers to whoever you've designated on that transfer on death deed avoiding probate. And that may be a trust you have set up. It may be your children, uh, whoever that may be, but, but that avoids that piece of property being put into probate. Uh, and then lastly would be the last rule and testament. Go ahead, go ahead. If you have- well, I was going to ask you, you know, you said the word that I think a lot of people have uh, maybe misunderstanding about what is probate and is probate good or bad? And it should it always be avoided? Uh, probate is not necessarily good or bad, but you know, it can be an expensive process and it can be a lengthy process. And really what it is, is, is the court determining who the heirs are and who property was intended to go to and making that determination and granting the power for a person or persons to, to access that property. Uh, so most people's goal is to try to avoid probate so they don't have to deal with the court and their designated beneficiaries or a trustee can access those accounts and funds immediately without any hassles involved. Okay. Uh, and you know, generally things that are considered non-probate property would be accounts where you have a designated beneficiary. If you've got an IRA or a 401k, as you know, you're going to have to fill out a beneficiary form, name the primary and possibly a secondary beneficiary. And as long as you have those boxes filled out and the person's living, then they're going to receive those funds directly. Uh, likewise, if you've got bank accounts, you name them payable on death or transfer on death, whatever your bank calls it, then they're going to receive the funds in that bank account and be able to access those immediately, just like life insurance as well. So those are all examples of things that are not probate assets as long as you've got a beneficiary designated on them. Uh, Likewise, the house, you can also avoid probate on by designating a, a transfer on death beneficiary. Uh, so most people, that's their goal is to avoid probate. And depending on your state, there generally is a cap on probate assets, too. If it's under a certain amount of dollars, you can generally file an affidavit and that will allow you to access the funds. But that may be restricted to dollars. So if you've got a, you know, a, an account with a balance higher than that or an investment account with a balance higher than that, then you would have to go through probate. Uh, to access those funds if you don't have a designated beneficiary. That's good to clear up what um, what probate is. And I know that um, design, uh, beneficiary designations are very important. So let's say that you're on your fifth marriage and you still have uh, wife number one as your beneficiary on your IRA. And if you pass away, there's a good chance wife number one's getting that money, even if that's not exactly what you want to happen. So make sure that your beneficiary uh, designations are updated and current, because there's probably not a whole lot that can be done once it's too late to change who gets that money. Absolutely. That's a good point. I always tell people to take a look at those along with your estate planning documents every five to 10 years, or if there is any sort of major life change, like a marriage, a divorce, a death, things like that. Mm -hmm. Another quick beneficiary tip, oftentimes uh, parents leave everything to their children. And depending on where the children are in life financially, sometimes let's say you have a million dollar life insurance policy and you have grown kids that are doing well financially, why not leave half of the money to the children and half to a charity, to a church or an organization that you care about or, or 30% to that organization? So just another little uh, beneficiary trick that can sometimes benefit uh, a nonprofit organization if if you feel so uh, compelled to do so. Absolutely. So anything else as far as the documents that we, uh, we, we need to look at having? The last would be a last will and testament for sure and possibly a trust. Uh, even if you have a trust, I recommend having a pour over will. But but either way, I think if you're an adult and you've got any sort of assets, I recommend having a will. What the will does is it's going to name a, an executor or a, a 
someone to, to manage that uh, distribution of assets. It's going to state where your property is to go to and how it's to be divided up. And it's also generally going to name uh, guardians for any minor children in the event you and or the other guardian of the, the child or children is deceased as well. Uh, so that's kind of be a, going to be a little bit of a catch-all, but you know that could still wind up going through probate if you don't have the trust. But that's a good, simple, something to start with, at least having a last will and testament. Okay. Can guardians, is that kind of a, a set in stone uh, deal or can a court appoint a different guardian than what the last will and testament uh, listed? That depends on the state and, and the court may be able to do that. And especially if it's challenged by someone, the court may look at uh, what's in the best interest of the child. Uh, but definitely if you don't have those people named, the court's going to be the one to decide that. If you don't have guardians named in the last will and testament, at least then the court knows what your wishes are. Um, and likewise, depending on the rules of of different states, for example, in Kansas, if, if you have a last if you don't have a last will and testament, then they resort to the, the, the Kansas laws regarding uh, how property is to be divided. And strangely enough, in Kansas, it gives half your property to your spouse and the other half to your children equally. Uh, and most people, I think, if they have a living spouse, would want all of their property to go to their spouse and not to their children especially if they're minor children, it can create additional issues. Even if they're adult children, usually what you want is the spouse to have it and the last living spouse would be the one that, you know, distributes it to, to the children or charities or wherever you wish it to go to. That's why I'm such a big proponent in life about paying people who know what they're doing to help you to avoid problems. A lot of people just never even would assume that if they passed away, their four-year-old child would now own half of a home. And that 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 creates a whole can of worms. Whereas, you know, they get with you, they talk with you about um their situation, and then you take your knowledge and your expertise and you draw up the proper papers that can avoid these very, very expensive uh and painful problems. And I'm sure you've uh you've probably had to spend a few uh few minutes in your career fixing problems that could have been avoided in the past, right? Absolutely. And that's why I, I like to spread knowledge and, and make people aware of, of what's out there, what possibly needs to be done and to consult with somebody and hopefully they can avoid those same mistakes. I want to take a minute or so and jump away from the podcast and talk directly to the business owners and entrepreneurs. So, hey, business owners, have you ever thought about selling your business as part of a way to fund your retirement or future lifestyle? Well, if you have, check out my new website, www.allofmyassets.com. While you're there, sign up to take the Value Builder Score Assessment. And what this does is it gives you an indication of some of the areas of your business that you you can improve so that you can sell your business for a higher multiple when you're ready or simply have an easier and more profitable life today. The Value Builder Assessment also gives you an estimate of value of what you can sell your business for currently, and there is no charge to take this uh, assessment. And the best part is it only takes about 13 to 15 minutes. So check out www.allofmyassets.com. Maybe you could give us just the very Cliff Notes version of like, what is a trust? Why might I want a trust? What are some of the benefits of the trust? Maybe what are some of the disadvantages of the trust? And and just the 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 five minute trust one oh one education for us. And of course, everybody's trust would would be individualized, and and you'd need specific advice for your situation. But trust one oh one information. 
Yeah. And a lot of people say, do I need a trust? Do I not need a trust? Why do I need a trust? And, and I tell people, you know, not everybody needs a trust. There are ways that you can avoid probate and, and plan out things and, and avoid having a trust, especially if your children are go, gone, uh, grown, excuse me. But I always recommend having a trust if you have children under the age of 18. Uh, a, a trust provides, voids the core probate process, appoints a trustee to manage the funds of the trust, that could be a trusted individual. It could also be a trust company, a bank, investment company, any of those people. Uh, but that that basically gives you a lot more authority to control how and when your funds are being distributed without any intervention from anybody else. Uh, the main important things are, you know, if you've got children under 18, if you don't have a trust, generally the court's going to supervise distributions to those children. Uh, and once they turn 18, they're an adult in the eyes of the state. So, you know, here you go. Here's your money. And I don't know, but I know a lot of people that are 18 that aren't responsible enough to handle a significant sum of money and to, to manage it and save it and do, do what they need to do with that. Versus if you have a trust, you can have your trustee manage that money, grow it, investments, have the authority to do that and provide for a child's care and education, even through college, graduate school, if you want to do that. Uh, control when income distributions are provided to the child. And you can also outline when you want to the uh, trust principal distributed to children. And that could be at staggered ages. You could say, I want my kids to get a third at age 25, a third at age 30, and a third at age 35, for example. So it just gives you a lot more control of what you want and, and helps manage things a lot better. And you put stipulations such as I don't know, the, the child must be full-time in, in college, or are there any limits to what sort of uh, limitations you can put on there? You know, a trust can't run in perpetuity, so it does have to have some sort of endpoint, but there are plenty of stipulations you can put in there. I've seen people put in there that I often are, are recommended, and the good thing is I usually recommend that, that people do a revocable living trust, and so there are certain situations where you want an irrevocable trust. Those usually have to do with, with, with life insurance investments and things like that. But primarily for families, I recommend a revocable living trust. And what that means is you can dissolve the trust at any point if you want to. You can add property to it. You can take property out of it while you're living. And you can also make changes to it at any time. So you may be setting up a trust and your kids are four and two. Well, 20 years down the road, they're 24 and 22, and they may be super responsible or not responsible at all, but you can re redraft the terms of those stipulations at any time and you can set it up. So, you know, certain things hinge on if they graduate from college, you can set aside money for a marriage or a house down payment or, uh, you know, any, any type of milestone you want to put in there. So it gives you a lot more flexibility. So in addition to paying, paying you or someone like yourself to draw up a trust, are there any other expenses involved with, with having and maintaining a trust? Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of that depends on uh, who you name as your successor trustee and manages the trust. You know, if you're hiring a trust company or a bank or someone like that, they're generally going to either charge a flat fee every year based on the principal of the trust or maybe a percentage based on that as well. Um, you can also choose if you want to name a family member to manage the trust, you can choose to give them compensation for that or not. And a lot of it's also going to depend on how long the trust runs. You know, if you've got a trust where your your children are 35 years old and they're just to receive full distributions upon death, then there's not going to be a lot of expense to it versus a trust where you may have minor children and the trust lasts for 30 or 40 years where you're dealing with all of this. So I hope everybody is listening to this and they, if anything, if nothing else, they just understand that 
everybody needs to get their estate planning documents and affairs in order. And I'm, I'm sure, Carrie, you would agree there's a lot of, you know, do it yourself, maybe uh, Google sites um, that probably are not the greatest idea. I think having having a, a, a local attorney who's licensed in your state that can give you specific advice for your specific situation, I think is um, is incredibly important. So before we get to our last question, is there anything else, any any other uh, estate planning tips that you'd like to give um, to our audience? Um, anything maybe for business owners? Do business owners have different considerations than than a non-business owner? Yeah, they would certainly want to think about, uh, you know, how the succession would go if something were to happen to the business. Do they have co-owners in the business? Do you have a succession plan if you're the sole owner of the business? And you probably want to look back at your operating agreement and, and see what the terms are and how that spells out uh, how a transfer and interest of that business or worker in the event of, of your death or the death of another owner. So that's something certainly to think about. And a lot of that, like I said, is going to depend on, on what your, uh, what your formation documents state and kind of the procedure that it outlines for that. But I would certainly encourage everybody, like you said, to find a, a local estate planning attorney that's licensed in their state and, and talk to them. You know, I know a lot of myself and a lot of attorneys are welcome to, well, willing to talk to people for free and love to help out and, and give advice and suggestions. And a lot of attorneys I know will do this once they can figure out what your situation is on a flat fee. So you don't necessarily have to worry about being billed by the hour, depending on your specific situation. But a lot of them can give you a quote based on what your needs are and what you want and, and how much time they think it's going to take. Sure. And like anything else, I mean, the uh, Carrie Smalley law firm doesn't work for free, nor should you. You're providing a valuable service. So there's going to be a little cost involved, but both in 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 financial expense and, and time and effort on the client's part. But the benefits of having a well thought out and well executed estate plan just far, far out outweigh any cost that I could ever imagine. And I can say that for having uh, been through uh, an unfortunate situation in, in the last year where having some proper documents in place really made life a lot. Now, I, I do want to throw you for a loop a little bit, and there's one question that I ask every guest uh, that I don't tell that I'm going to ask. So we are the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that help you to build and maintain wealth. So uh, Carrie Smalley, what's your definition of wealth for you, for your family? How do you define wealth? Uh, I define wealth as as being happy and blessed and uh you know, having a, a roof over my head and, and healthy spouse and healthy children and uh, finding a work-life balance and enjoy to, enjoying time with my family is, is wealth and health to me. Hey, I mean, I couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, you're, you're doing really good work and, and I appreciate it. And um, I really appreciate your expertise on this podcast. So what states are you licensed in? And uh, if anybody in those states wanted to contact you, how would they do so? Yes. So I'm licensed in Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. I'm located in the Kansas City metro area. And to contact me, you can either check out my website at thesmalleylawfirm.com, or you can uh, give me a call 913-601-3549. Or easiest way to reach me is send me an email. I'm happy to respond back to you. It's Carrie, C-A-R-Y, at thesmalleylawfirm.com. That is good stuff. 
So, hey, everybody, if you're in one of those three states, maybe uh, contact Carrie. If you're not in one of those three states, contact a good local estate planning attorney and just deal with this stuff. Get it get it done. Make some decisions. And then uh, then we can all just kind of go upon our our merry ways and know that if if something unforeseen happens, uh, we've taken care of our loved ones and made their life easier. So until next episode, we wish everybody a blessed week. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. So that wraps up this episode on estate planning. And I just wanted to thank everybody for giving me the time. And and I know your time is valuable. So I appreciate that you're listening to the podcast. Please let your friends, families, colleagues, and coworkers know that this resource is out there. I like to say that we are a financial planning podcast that does not talk all the time about traditional financial planning topics, but we want to help you to have a better life. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.